Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed with your responsibilities, and it seems like you'll never get it all done? Well, you're not alone. We all need to remember to use our superpowers, the ones we already have but don't use all the time and take advice and wisdom from one another. Towards the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to keep on being the well woman you are. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. The Well Woman Show is sponsored by Better Money Decisions, headed by two awesome women, Kate and Lorraine, who put your interests first when it comes to your money. They make sure your plan and your investments are tailored just for you. No financial jargon, no Wall Street double talk. Go to bettermoneydecisions.com slash wellwoman to get their new book for free. Over the next three episodes, I'm going to be speaking with three different women who will help shed some light on a recent study naming Albuquerque, New Mexico, the number one city in the country to close the gender gap in pay, homeownership, and education. The recent study by Trulia showed that in Albuquerque, the pay gap between men and women decreased by 25% from 2008 to 2015. Meanwhile, women are slightly more likely than men to have four years of college or more and to be homeowners in the city. And Albuquerque's city council just passed new legislation giving companies that want to work with the city an incentive if its pay gap is less than 7%. As women, we often juggle many aspects of our lives, and on The Well Woman Show, we look at women's lives through three lenses. First, personal, like family or health. Second, career building and entrepreneurship. And third, community, such as sitting on boards or doing volunteer work. So I'm interested in how these three aspects of our lives have impacted the success of women leaders and entrepreneurs in Albuquerque, and specifically how particular resources and networking opportunities have impacted the success of women entrepreneurs here. I'm also interested in how location can really improve the ability to thrive. So I'll be talking to these three guests about their experience in this city that has been named the number one city in the country to close the gender gap. The three guests are Sydney Alfonso, an entrepreneur that works with Native American artists to produce high-end jewelry inspired by traditional indigenous textiles and wants to create a network of people in the Southwest who would benefit from her ability to merchandise and sell. My second guest will be Abigail Lennon-Eves, who's a nurse midwife, a leader, and a nonprofit director of Albuquerque's only licensed birth center, and is called to nurture and empower women during the birth process. 
And the third guest will be Christina Salas, a professor in orthopedics and mechanical engineering who fosters interest in science and encourages female high school students to pursue careers in her field. So I'll be starting with the first interview today, and then the next two podcast episodes will be the other two women. Today's topic is how your location can be the foundation of your success. And hopefully by the end of the show, you'll be inspired to take bold steps towards your goals and have the knowledge and power to start building your team of supporters and mentors. My guest today is Sydney Alfonso. Sydney's the founder and CEO of Etki, a New Mexico business that works with Native American artists to produce high-end jewelry inspired by traditional indigenous textiles. In this episode, Sydney and I talk about how she applied what she learned in a women's co-op in Turkey to her business in New Mexico, why she's working on being more curious, and why it's important to retrain your brain to create the habits you want in your life. Talking about her business, Sydney Alfonso says, I think it could only have happened in Albuquerque. And she describes the slower pace as a contributor to her work-life balance as well as the outdoor activities she enjoys as great reasons to be based in Albuquerque. The free giveaway today is my free resources for starting your business. I love this giveaway because it's a quick guide to resources and networks to grow your own business. Download it for free at wellwomanlife.com slash 066 show. Now to my interview with Sydney. I'm speaking with Sydney Alfonso today. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start by having you explain what you're working on right now and how it impacts women's lives and well-being. Yeah, so Etki is a platform that collaborates with primarily Native American artisans in New Mexico um, on creating high-end luxury accessories that are sold in over 90 retail stores across the globe. Wow. Okay. And so how does that impact women in New Mexico um, specifically? I know that you work with women and you hire women, right? Yeah. So we have um, one male beater and the rest of our um, beaters, seven out of eight are women. And one of the things that's really important for us is all of our beaters and our artisans are contract workers, which means that they're their own bosses, their employees. And what's really cool about Etki is they have the flexibility to create their own working hours. They can pick their kids up from school, especially within what we found within the families that we work with. When the moms are there, the kids speak Navajo. When um, they're able to rearrange Um, transportation, they can decide the school that their kid wants to go to. And so we really focus on being a service that allows these women to create the kind of lives they want to lead. And I know that there's a a background story here um, based on your own travels in Turkey. Can you can you talk a little bit about that that, and then how you ended up um, creating this business here in New Mexico? Etki actually means impact in Turkish, and that's where I started my design career. I was studying abroad in college, and I met women that didn't have access to a Western market, and so I bought jewelry, and <laughs> I, I sold it in sorority shows and was just kind of the traveling freak show. 
And then after I graduated, I went back to Turkey and spent a year there working with the women's co-op. And I just realized that I didn't want to build my life in Turkey. So I came back to New Mexico with everything that I learned about working with the women's co-op and saw that it would be really applicable, especially for Native American art. So what I was able to do is say, oh my gosh, there are so many talented artisans who bead and who do silversmithing and leather work, but how do we take what they've traditionally done and modernize it for a high-end luxury market? So you're using a cooperative model? Yeah, so (laughs) in the U.S. it's a little bit trickier for us. They're not employees, they're contract workers, so that means that they have the flexibility to do other jobs. And uh, for tax purposes and what we do, we're not set up as a co-op. We've definitely looked into it, but what we do offer is very transparent pricing. So at the end of the year, when everything's getting ready to be wrapped up, everyone gets a bonus based on the percentage that they've made um, in correlation with how the business performed. How was it building your business in Albuquerque? I think it only could have happened in Albuquerque. I just went down to the Old Town Plaza and asked if anyone could bead and met one woman who met another woman And we started working with one artisan. We launched an Indiegogo campaign. We made our first bracelets. And then word spread, and now we work with eight beaters full-time. And what was the collaborative process like with the beaters? We're really clear in our business that this is a community effort. So I know what will sell in high-end markets in New York. What do our customers in San Francisco and Tokyo, what are the shows? What is the business development that we really need to create these products? And then with our beaters, they'll be the first to tell you that I'm really terrible at beating. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think in a lot of brands, the people that actually make the products get left behind a little bit. But for us, you know, we wouldn't have a business without our beaters. And so as far as the production and the company, it's definitely framed as in our company, what we do. Uh, we have a really open line of communication. Um, and then as far as the design, it is very collaborative. You know, we we talk with our artisans about patterns. Uh, one of our beaters who's been with us the longest can just like look at some of our inspiration boards and whip something up. Can you talk a little bit about the process? You just mentioned uh, these boards that you put together. What is the process from beginning to end that you go through? Yeah, I have a really fun example that's also kind of New Mexico related. So we have worked with the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum. And so we get a a full range of images that they're going to display and then we get to go back and look at the beads and the color combinations and design pieces that are inspired by her collection and that's kind of what we do for every season as well. 
Okay, and you mentioned earlier that you already know the market, the international market, what's going to sell in the high-end market in all these cities. How do you know that? (laughs) I guess it's less how do I know, but it's more that I'm willing to find out. You know, I mean, we've grown pretty organically over three years at a pretty fast pace because I really believe in what we're doing. And so it's really easy for me to go into a store and say, I have this amazing product. It's all handmade. We have an amazing team. And I think that that passion, which is passed on to me from my team, is very transparent in all of the sales meetings and trade shows that I attend. I find this fascinating because this comes up over and over with women uh, entrepreneurs in Albuquerque, which is that if you just, if you have a good idea and some motivation and some focus, you can actually really make things happen here. And it sounds like that's what you did. Yeah, I was also really lucky. I went through an accelerator called Creative Startups. I'm actually on the board for them now. Um, And I think one thing that I'm really impressed with what they've been able to do is take creative entrepreneurs and people that have a great idea and want to create a social impact and want to be involved in the creative community and really help them formulate the business plan. And I mean, in the very beginning, I definitely was just crying over financial spreadsheets and I Google and still continue to Google a lot of the business terms. But I think having a network that supports you and celebrates what you're good at and what you're passionate at about really helps you move past the things that you feel might not be your strong suit and still be really content with the business that you're building. Okay, and so we have several of these support systems in in Albuquerque. Uh, you, you specifically were a part of the creative startup. What was that process like? How long was it? Were you in a cohort? Can you kind of talk a little bit about it? We were the first cohort. And so it was Etki, Meow Wolf, and Synapse Apps, which were all, surprisingly, all three New Mexico businesses that placed in the top three. So you go through a online accelerator and then you have a week long where you're meeting with mentors and you do a demo day and you have a pitch pitch day as well where you meet with accredited investors and it was a really interesting experience that got me thinking about the potential of what we could actually build and was it an application process in order to be in the startup Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had to apply, you had to submit a video, and then you're reviewed. Um, And so it is pretty competitive. But I think what's interesting about this accelerator versus some of the really heavily tech-focused accelerators is that they're really looking at the individual and the goal of what you're trying to build versus just the business and how much money you can make. What did you find were the biggest results um, having participated in the creative startup? It was definitely the mentor network. So having a few people that will always say yes to lunch or hop on a phone call or make an introduction has been really helpful. And it's something that now that the company's three years old, I'm trying to do in reverse of, they just had a program called Creative Labs that helped early ideas 
get to the point where they could apply for the accelerator, which I think was a really healthy step to building the local business community here. And so I went in and talked and I think, you know, I remember how much people helped me. And so here is a chance to kind of become a mentor. Yeah, mentorship is so important uh, in terms of leadership and entrepreneurship. Can you tell us who some of your mentors were in that early process? I have two mentors. One is a VC um, who's now in Austin. And I have another mentor that came through a connection of another mentor who works with us on supply chain. And so having the resources to say, I don't know anything about supply chain, And this person came in, his name's Matthew, he came in and was horrified again at the spreadsheet situation and sat down, we built it and got everything on track. And so I think having access to people that don't have the same skill set as you, um, and I think it's much more than just mentoring, it's going in and saying, okay, like we're going to build this spreadsheet and then we're going to schedule two calls a month to go over and track your progress and I think sometimes as an entrepreneur you get a lot of advice but it's really helpful if someone just takes something off your plate and holds you accountable. Yeah it's that accountability partnership that's really important isn't it in in the mentor relationship and where do you think your company would be had you not participated in that creative startup? I don't know I mean it's always hard to think about it but I think when it when things get tough and things always get tough, especially in small businesses, the only thing that keeps you going is your team and the people in the community. So I think it's really hard. It's, it's, it's really hard to do things in a silo. So that would be my number one piece of advice is to find people that inspire you and motivate you. And for women out there listening who might be interested in in starting their own company or they already have and they're looking to to progress but they're not in an incubator yet, what advice would you give for creating a mentor relationship? Yeah, so I was actually just at a conference with really high growth female entrepreneurs. I mean, it was like it was called the Circular Summit and there were women in there who had raised $40 million, 50, 20, 10, I mean, a million dollars is still a lot of money to raise and had these really booming businesses. And I think there's a little bit of a different connotation when it comes to mentorship. So if you look at these really big businesses that are poised for growth, you should probably have a mentor that's done that and that's built a really big business if that's your goal. But I think you should just pick the mentor who's created the kind of life that you want. And so, you know, if it's a small business or if you want to open a coffee shop or a bookstore, just find someone who's done that because they're going to be the people that have the most valuable information and can kind of really increase your learning by telling you the mistakes that they made. So beyond finding the person, what would be one of some of the next steps in terms of starting a relationship? I guess for me, it's been pretty organic. I never went out and said, oh, I'm going to have a mentor and I'm going to find someone. However, I have heard from several of my friends that they really want that um, or several other women in my life. And I think for me, it's, it's always about connecting with someone first on a personal level 
of I've met someone at a conference or through a mutual one of my closest mentors I met her boss on an airplane mm-hmm. and he was like you have to meet this woman you guys would totally hit it off and so I think it's just um, about putting yourself out there and putting your idea out there and being really excited because when you have that energy people kind of gravitate towards you and it will come about in a little bit more organic manner. Yeah, I think that's so important because I think when we uh, when we're open when we're when we put ourselves out there, as you said, but then when we're open and receptive to the things that may happen, like the person on the plane, you know, starting that conversation instead of just doing your own thing on the airplane that day, that wouldn't have led to that relationship. So really, kind of being stepping out of your comfort zone sometimes and and making sure you're putting yourself out there and being open and receptive to what you receive. And I think one thing, I'm actually working with a life coach on this, and one of the topics that we're covering is becoming more curious. And so if you can drop into a place that's much more inquisitive about the other person or asking them questions that might pertain to your business or your idea, you're going to get a more authentic reaction versus like I've been at some conferences or um, gatherings or happy hours where, you know, people don't want to talk to the person that's like jamming their pitch, their elevator pitch down someone's throat. And so I think if you can just kind of zen into yourself and really want to learn about that other person, you're going to find out really quickly whether or not you want to continue that relationship. Yeah, that's a really good point. Curiosity always um, helps to, to remember because that, that helps you ask more questions rather than talking all the time. So uh, that also makes me think of the give, give, get, right? So give at least two or three times before you ask for something. So it's more like, how can I help you? Not just how you can help me. Yeah. And I've personally found that women give a lot. And one thing that I'm working on is asking for more. And so, you know, I think, yes, it is giving and listening and being attentive to how that person is reacting, but also not being afraid to ask for what you need. Because I, I definitely think that we tend to give a little bit more. <laughs> And so uh, sort of standing in your power and asking for what you need is something that you're intentionally trying to do more of? Oh, yeah. And it's really hard. You know, I think when you start something, you see the days when orders don't get fulfilled or when someone calls in sick and the backlog and the bank statement. And you, for- you just forget to celebrate like what you've been able to accomplish. And that's also something that we're working on, which is saying, oh my gosh, it's been three years. Look at all we've done and look at how proud our team is. And, you know, we're like a family. And I think being able to portray that in an authentic way and remember what we have done makes it a lot easier to say, you know, this is great, but it would be awesome if you could help in this way. What are some of the other challenges you've faced as a female entrepreneur? That's tricky. I think gender definitely frames a lot of entrepreneurship. Um, I found that women don't 
quite exaggerate as much as some of what I've seen. Um, so I spent, and I still live part time between San Francisco and in the and like in the Valley. There's, I mean, it's a whole other league of entrepreneurship. And I think, as far as being a female, it's apologizing less. I mean, obviously, apologize when you're wrong. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's just. I've really struggled with giving myself credit and allowing myself to be me, which means, you know, I don't like wearing makeup. I don't like looking nice. It's a great day if I brush my hair. And I think just like that self-acceptance rather than trying to create this image of perfection has been something that I think a lot of women deal with and I hope it changes. Do you feel that you have felt the pressure to look good and and do you know sort of appearance is important in your in your work? Yeah absolutely especially because we're fashion forward so Paris Fashion Week I glance at myself (laughs) in the mirror compared to you know, the clothes that I'm not wearing or the shoes that I don't have or the people actually spend $10,000 on bags, right? And I think to feel like you have to look a certain way is really stressful. And it's something that I believe every single woman on the face of this earth has felt. And I think that's, again, another piece that's really important to me as we're growing is as a fashion and as an accessories company, how do we have different narratives? How do we not just have really blonde, skinny models, but how do we portray diversity and defy gender norms and just kind of create a little bit more of a real world than what exists in fashion? How do you find uh, dealing with setting boundaries as a woman? Um, a lot of what we talk about on the Well Woman Show is the ability to say no and set those boundaries. So has that been something that's come up? Yeah, I oscillate a little bit on that because when you're first starting, I think you have to say yes to a lot of things because you don't have any basis to test it. So, I mean, I've had events where I was like, oh, I really don't want to do this, but I have to, I feel like I owe them something and then I did it and then boom, you get one of your best clients. And so I think as a small business, you really have to hustle and your first few years are going to be really hard. And now I think I'm overcorrecting a little bit and being a little more close with my time and I'm getting really clear on what my priorities are. And I think there's never going to be a perfect balance. You have to go with the flow of your business but I think as long as you're mindful and you meditate and you really ask yourself like what do I need today and what can wait until next week or next month and really focusing on those really core objectives has helped me. I wanted to ask you backing up a little bit about your business what it was like to um, negotiate your first deal and get your first placement I thought $1,000 was so much money. Yeah, it was ner- it was nerve-wracking, and I just walked into the store it's in Santa Fe and said, I, you know, we have these bracelets, and I think they'd be a really good fit. And I think when you're first starting, 
there is an element of being naive that really plays to your advantage because you're not afraid to do things. And I actually was thinking about this last week when we're working on our bag line and I like can't get everything perfect and it's not going as fast. And I was like, I literally <laughs> launched a bracelet collection like to online for the entire world to see. And we had one bracelet um, and hadn't figured anything out. So I think you have to go back even as you keep growing as an entrepreneur and as, as a business to remember like why you started what you did and remember that you can always keep changing. What makes being based in Albuquerque, even though you have this sort of global business, uh, what, what makes being in Albuquerque a great place for you as an entrepreneur with this particular business that you have? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the community. Working in really close proximity with our artisans is crucial to our identity. We don't, you know, I mean, there are tons of artisan companies that just source from artisans abroad and I I lived that life for a little while but I knew that we wanted to be different in that our artisans would be a core part of building our business and that would not happen if I was sitting from my desk in San Francisco you know you don't get the same personal connection and you don't have a brick and mortar store right you actually just have your products placed in stores all over the world? Yeah, and we're also online. And as of June 1st, we're going to be on 4th and Mountain um, in a small retail showroom space. And I think that's another thing that Albuquerque has provided is just the first jumping off point to have a great space where we can build community and grow into our larger vision. So what do you mean by build community and and what's your larger vision? Yeah, so I think that there's a trend within fashion and accessories. You know, it's seen in Austin, really cool chic boutiques and New Mexico invented boho chic. (laughs) Like we, we have a network of really amazing artists. I mean, our entire community is just super rich in culture. And so, you know, bags, jewelry, um, sewing, beadwork, we have this community that hasn't really been, I guess, exposed or presented in a really high-end luxury market that we're working in. And so our goal for the next 10 years is to create a network of people here within the Southwest that would benefit from Um, our ability to merchandise and sell product. Great. And you said a high-end luxury product. What's the price point for your bracelets? We have two collections. So we have a glass that retails from $195 to $250. And then we have a precious metal collection that's made with sterling silver and 24 karat gold dipped beads that goes all the way up to $650. And we're currently working on... um, getting solid gold and silver beads made by artisans. So that will be a really fun development in 2018. So Sydney, we're moving into a segment called Superpowers for Success. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor. One of the top issues women tell me they struggle with is finances, which is why I want you to call my friends at Better Money Decisions. The company is owned by women, Lorraine L. and Kate Stalter, and they make sure your plan and your investments are tailored just for you. 
They're fiduciaries and put your interests first. No financial jargon, no Wall Street double talk. Also, they have a gift for Well Woman Show listeners, their free book, Don't Let Your Money Kick the Bucket Before You Do. And it's all about the need to manage your money for a long life expectancy. You can download the entire book at bettermoneydecisions.com slash wellwoman. And you'll also get a free portfolio diagnostic so you can tell if your investments are right for you. Just go to bettermoneydecisions.com slash wellwoman. And I want to ask you a few sort of quicker questions. Um, And the first one is, what does success in life mean to you? A happy family. So have you reached that? (laughs) Um, I'm really close with my mom. Um, And I mean, I think that's one of the things where it's really hard when you're in your late 20s to start thinking realistically about your goals and your vision. And I think for me, while building a business is crucial to creating the change I want to see in my community, I really think that there's a deeper connection when you raise a family that is happy and healthy and a good member of our universe. And you were brought up in New Mexico. Um, Do you see yourself starting a family in Albuquerque? (laughs) Um, I don't know. My boyfriend is French, so we have some negotiating to do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, don't want to put you on the spot there. When did you know, Sydney, that you were really good at what you do? Last week, um, I think, was the... when I had that moment, um, we had some, we had three deaths within the family in our very small network of artisans. And even with all of this chaos and trauma going on, everyone collectively organized and got orders out and showed up and really demonstrated that Etki was of value. And I think, you know, that took three years to build, but it really made me realize that what we're doing is, is beneficial to these communities. Okay. And can you describe one personal habit that contributes to your well-being? I think meditation will be. Um, I'm still struggling with the sit down and take five minutes to deal with yourself. It's actually way harder than it is. But I mean, it's exercise for sure is the the only thing that keeps me sane. Can you talk about how you fit that into your daily life? Yeah, I think it's just a priority. Um, So again, working with my life coach is kind of like retraining your brain. And I'm not a huge exercise person. I mean, I'm very happy to spend my Saturday in my sweatpants. Um, but after you do it a couple times, you just retrain your brain to remember like, oh my goodness, remember how great I felt after I went for that walk? Or if I'm feeling really anxious, like just put on your tennis shoes. You don't even have to run. Just do 10 minutes and you'll feel better. And I think coaxing yourself into remembering how you feel afterwards Um, is a habit and I mean I've it's different depending on your stresses or where you are or traveling or your family um, or work but I think just prioritizing yourself to do like 20 minutes and that's all you have to do is something that really helped me jumpstart that habit. So that is something that I also do I love getting out and walking um, 
around. We have a huge park near my house, so we I walk around there, or in the foothills or something. So that is something really unique to Albuquerque and to New Mexico is having that accessible to us. Yeah, and I, I think the fact that it's a 20-minute drive to the mountains where you're totally isolated is really nice. I think in the winter it's great because you have skiing and snowshoeing or hiking and there's just a lot that New Mexico does provide. I also love the zero commute that I have since I work from home. Do you have a long commute? I mean, I know you're going to get an office downtown, but um, I think no matter where you live in the city, it's it's just not that big a deal to to get where you're going. Yeah. When there's traffic, I'm like so enraged. I'm just like, what? (laughs) What? It's going to take me longer than 20 minutes to get there. Um, Yeah, I think I think the slow pace of life is also really helpful. Um, I mean, I like I said, I did run my business part time from San Francisco about a year and a half ago. And I can accomplish so much more and definitely have that work life balance of getting outside the air, not being in a city, no hour-long commute, um, cooking, going to the grocery store. Um, You know, I mean, I think that you can have a a really great life in New Mexico. And what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? I remember this question when you (laughs) ask other women this, and it's so hard. Um, Resiliency. I think looking back at where I grew up and going to school and I lived abroad in high school. I got a a scholarship when I was 16 and just like all of these little things end up adding to your portfolio of strength that you didn't, that you don't give yourself enough credit for. And I think that's probably been the superpower with starting my own business is just not giving up. And what do you do when you get knocked down? Like, how do you activate that resiliency? I think what I used to do is just pretend that it didn't matter and almost think of, like, an excuse of, like, well, they weren't even a cool store anyway. And so I think now that I've been able to separate myself versus the business, I give myself space to say, oh, wow, like, that really sucks my feelings hurt or that was a terrible meeting or a a rough conversation. And I think giving myself permission to feel a certain way has been really helpful. And then when you do that, you're able to process things a lot faster and just brush it off um, and move forward because that's all anyone can do. And I think if you have a really strong vision and strong commitment to to your passion and what you're trying to do it's it's easier right to get back on and say okay I'm gonna keep going yeah and I think again it goes back to maybe not a mentor but just that community support of having someone you can call and I think you need to preface what you need that's another thing is like if you're going to talk to someone, you don't just want to call and complain, but you want to say, hi, like, I really need to vent. Like, can I tell you about this buyer at this store who's just enraging me? Like, can you listen to me for five minutes? And then they, you let it out and they are just there to share that and hold that experience with you. I feel like it's an easier way to 
move on when you have someone to kind of commiserate with you. And it's great if there's wine involved. (laughs) I think a part of that is that there's no judgment in in that conversation. So when you ask to be heard, um, the other person isn't judging you or isn't necessarily trying to advise you, but just listening, right? Totally. Yeah. And I think that's another communication thing I've learned, especially between between men and women, of saying what you need. Like, I need you to listen to me. I don't need you to fix this. And that has been um, something I've learned within this past year. My husband says that to me a lot. (laughs) I'm a fixer. I'm a problem solver. So it's hard to not always be problem solving. Sydney, what advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? So 10 years ago, I would be 16. And I think the 16-year-old me would have needed to hear that taking care of yourself is really important. And I see this within a lot of youth. Um, who are, you know, determined and want to be something and prove that they can be achievers. And I think instead of kind of fulfilling this cycle that in order to be something, you have to do X or you have to get into this school or you have to get this score, I think that we really need to celebrate the little things that aren't on paper and... I think I would have told myself that. And do you identify as a feminist? Yeah, I think the definition of a feminist is equality. And I believe that every human on earth, even if they don't necessarily identify (laughs) with it, um, can agree to that. And as far as the negative connotation that is kind of like pro-women, that is trending on media is something where it's, again, it's a trend. It's not really going back and looking at what it is, which is equality. So, yeah, I'm a feminist. Nice. And what are you reading right now? This is the last question. What are you reading right now? And so what's on your nightstand? I am reading The Blue Ocean Theory or, like, The Blue Ocean Strategy. It's about not competing in a sea of red water, but looking to how you can frame your business into blue water and what you can offer that customers haven't seen before. I recently heard about this book, and I, what's the deal with the red water and the blue water? Yeah, so the red water is like sharks may get bloody um, because there's so much competition, and you have to swim to blue water where there are no sharks. Okay, so the basic premise is that you need to be building your business with less competition? Yeah, so one of the examples that they use is Cirque du Soleil. So they took a circus, which was a super outdated form of entertainment, and they blended it with adult entertainment and elevated it and made it still at that same price point that was accessible that people were willing to pay for adult entertainment, um, but taking a new, fun, youthful concept in it that someone wasn't doing before. Um, as far as how that pertains to us, um, we have a spreadsheet going. So if any any listener out here has some ideas, just let us know. But it's definitely a great book to get you thinking about how you can um, be different and add value to customers out there. 
So how are you doing that? So one of the things with Blue Ocean Strategy is uh, price competitiveness, whereas for us that wasn't how we built our business. You know, we're in high end and luxury, but where I think we do add value is in the lives that we change. And so we're working right now on on communicating that value and really coming up with quantifiable metrics to prove that these prices actually really are not that expensive when you look at the the actual overall impact economically that we could have if we were able to achieve scale. Great. Sydney, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for having me.